0: Today, we got a big get. Scott Docterman, beat writer from The Athletic, joins us on the Locked On Hawkeyes podcast. We talk about the upcoming Iowa football season, a little Iowa basketball, and what's it like to be on the Hawkeyes beat. That's today, Locked On Hawkeyes. You are Locked On Hawkeyes, your daily podcast on the Iowa Hawkeyes. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in. I'm Trent Condon, joined today by Scott Dotterman of The Athletic, and this is the Locked On Hawkeyes podcast. Thanks for making Locked On Hawkeyes your first listen every day. Doc, great to catch up with you. And we've done what, probably 500 radio interviews over the last 20 years that I've been in the radio business. But I think this is the first time we've actually seen each other as we're talking to each other. How are you doing today, Doc?
1: Man, Tran, I'm doing well. It's uh, you know we're in the middle of July, so I always kind of joke that once you get in the summer, the Fourth of July is like it's like you throw a boomerang in the beginning of of June and then it comes back and smacks you in the face. You know it crosses through the Fourth of July and hits you with Big Ten Media Days, and here we are. It doesn't even feel like summer really took place. It's just been kind of busy as heck for for whatever reason. But I'm doing well, man. I can't complain.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time and all the time that you've given me throughout the years and. Killing segments, certainly during the summertime, you know, football season, basketball season. That's the easy time. It's this off season that though it's busy and there's always things to do and things for you to write about and for me to talk about still it's off season content and you have to rack your brain. And that's something that I love about the way that your brain works is you do that. I mean, you've had so many great pieces going back to, you know, the uh, the one in Alex Karras a couple of years ago and, and how that went down. You come up with these big pieces seemingly every single summer, something that really makes you think a story that we always talk about, but don't don't know everything behind it. Do you have a notebook? Do you have a, a notes app that you open up and, and look at every summer what you're kind of chasing? How does that work for you in your mind and knowing that, hey, we're looking for something this summertime, some kind of different kind of content?
1: Yeah, I, I do have an, uh, a notebook or, you know, even in my planner, I write down, anytime I get a story idea, I write it down. And it could be about anything from a weekly story during football season, okay, so, oh, okay, there's a connection there between Iowa and Illinois, and maybe I'll write that down, and who knows, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't, to something big picture in the off season. I think that's really the best way to go about things, because, uh, you know, there are times when you're just like, oh, I don't know what to write, but but when I have that list, then I could start working towards it, and, and that's one of the blessings, you know, I've, I've done the newspaper gig for, I did it for 20-plus years, and now I've been on online, really, for, you know, seven, uh, five with the athletic. And just fact, the other day was my fifth anniversary. And and we try to do things a little bit differently um, than we did in the newspaper realm. Newspaper, um, no offense, I have some great friends and then certainly great memories and working in it. But, but you're, it's a finite amount of time and space. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the difference between going on the radio, Trent, and doing this. I mean, yeah. you know, you, you can kind of go on whether well, it's tangents. But in my case, and, you know, in writing, I can go on a topic that, wouldn't have anywhere near the space in a, in a daily or even a weekend newspaper. So that's what makes it fun. And I just try to keep some ideas. I try to write them down when I went to Japan this spring, I I came back with like 50 ideas because I was kind of bored on that 17 uh, hour trip on the way back. So uh, yeah, I, uh, now I'm just kind of working through those. And plus we have this huge blitz going on right now um, on realignment. So there were a lot of stories on that part too.
0: You had an opportunity to talk to the former Big Ten commissioner for a while in Jim Delaney. You got so much great information there. Looking back at those pieces and for people that haven't seen it at The Athletic, some of the things that kind of popped out to you as you had the conversation and diving deep into, well, everything in his three decades plus as the Big Ten commissioner.
1: You know, he's probably, if you're looking at like a Mount Rushmore of – uh of college administrators and impact people in college athletics over hundred years. He's probably the George Washington on that Mount Rushmore. He's just that been that impactful worked with 71 presidents over 30 years at the big 10. It was just there for the whole thing. I mean, really once he he identified two main factors as to what triggered realignment. One was the biggie saying no to Penn state and two, um, the Supreme Court decision that opened up and kind of eliminated the NCAA cartel on television and allowed conferences and schools to negotiate individually on some of those, uh, you know, fascinating uh, you know, contracts we've seen. And it, first it allowed the, the CFA, the College Football Association, to take over. Then, uh, then you saw the SEC and Notre Dame break off. And so it was him going through that stage by stage, step by step. And then what happened with Penn State. And, uh, you know, my colleague and I, Audrey Snyder, really went in way deep on that one, probably the deepest of the bunch as to what happened there. And, and talking to him and talking to Stan Eikenberry, who's 88 years old, but was the president at Illinois who really drummed up support and had to fight for Penn State. And then talking to the Indiana president, uh, Thomas Ehrlich, who voted against Indiana. It was 7 to 3. I mean, that's, that's and seven had to get in and they had to flip Northwestern at the very end just to make it seven because Northwestern was freaked out that it, it would get kicked out of the Big Ten. So they thought it was going to be a trade Penn State for Northwestern. So uh, they had to put in a, um, you know, they had to take a vote before that, that they would not change the Big Ten structure for three years. And then, uh, and that, and then that way Northwestern was, Preserved for at least three years, and that was the the tenure remaining for the uh, president. So it worked out well. But you know, going they did ask
0: for a little more than three years,
1: though. Yeah, well, it, it, it also meant that they they weren't going to expand too, and they were now they could go back and and flip it, but it really built in some security for Northwestern. And then the next year they tried to get Notre Dame the first time didn't work out in 1991, and then they tried again in 99 way more publicly, didn't work out. And again, Delaney was just really descriptive in some of those things. And even after 1999, uh, the Notre Dame tried to discuss it with the Big Ten about getting in and, and, you know, getting the same deal the ACC gave them, you know, all those kinds of things. And it just, you know, it's just this uh, relationship that just never seemed to, you know, work together. But, you know, all these moves work Hand in hand-in-hand. So the ACC saw Penn State go into the Big Ten and decide we need to do something too to preserve ourselves and get Florida State. The SEC went after Arkansas first. Then it was between Florida State, South Carolina, and um, and Miami. And Florida State famously backed off because of the competition level. And they figured they could, and it worked for them. I mean, the yeah. question that they won the ACC going away and always seem to end up in the you know, in the a, a playoff fight, but, you know, and then just working it from there, you know, the, the Nebraska angle, you know, that was fascinating to me, just to, how things worked out there to Notre to Maryland and Rutgers and Rutgers will be one of our last stories in this series. Stuart Mandel and I work on and It's pretty descriptive and some of the issues there. So, um, but yeah, it was great and I really enjoyed it. And I think this series has been good for everybody to kind of describe what's been going on in realignment world since, uh, in the last 30 years
0: well one that has been uh one that you've chased and we've talked about in the past on the radio show is the 1980s fight between the wrestling team and the football team some summer you're going to get that thing to come together right basketballs or as a basketball team against the wrestling team and some fight that uh spilled out into the ped mall someday right doc
1: (laughs) yeah that one's on the list actually but (laughs) you know it's it's funny because uh that was one i think uh you know morehouse had always claimed dibs on but i think now that he's that you know a three-year moratorium since he's been out of the biz yep. i think i can probably slide yeah. over yeah i mean that there there are a lot of stories like that that i think are worth looking at and in the history you know alex karras was one that i really enjoyed it just happened mm-hmm. to coincide with the uh, you know racial bias situation at iowa and uh that one was awesome i really enjoyed going deep on that and, and i try to do that you know rock island independence uh, mm-hmm. last year and so there's, there's all these great stories that we've forgotten about, or we don't know about. And I try to do that. So the off season to me in some cases is more interesting than in season because in season, you're just kind of wedded to the day to day. Now on your side of the fence, I totally get it. You know, you can only talk about so many different things. And when I had the old on Iowa podcast, we had to issue moratoriums until the horse <laughs> latitudes, you know, like, should I play Iowa state or uh, who's going to replace Kirk Ferentz? But Uh, you know, now's the time where I guess you can talk about that. Yeah.
0: We can definitely stretch it out a little bit more here in the summertime. Scott Doctorman hanging out with us here today on the lockdown Hawkeyes podcast. When we come back, want to talk about being on the Iowa beat, some of the challenges being a beat writer for the university of Iowa. We're going to talk football and basketball also coming up here on the season. We'll do that as we continue. This is the lockdown Hawkeyes podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. Take your first swing at swing at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right. Just bet $20. bucks, you will land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. How about that? $200 you can spend on betting everything. They got the money line over, under, so many prop bets out there. Who's going to hit a home run, strikeout totals for pitchers, and a whole lot more, all on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. So sign up today and visit fanDuel.com slash to get up to $200 in bonus bets. FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. Trent Connor back with you alongside Scott Dockerman today on the Locked On Hawkeyes podcast. Thanks for making Locked On Hawkeyes your first listen every day. Doc, it is. Something that I've never done—I've never been on a beat—but it's something that has always intrigued me, interests me. The day-to-day grind and being somebody like you that has to be in front of Kirk Ferentz, be in front of Fran McCaffrey—I don't. I'm just a loud mouth on the radio, and I've been to a few press conferences in the past and asked a few questions. The guys been to media days and done the same, but it's different for you. You're there every day. You're there at every press conference, and knowing when you get critical. You're going to see that guy the next day or the next week, whatever it turns out to be. But what is that like being a beat writer and being somebody like you that is opinionated? You're not soft when you need to go hard after whatever team it is. You definitely do
1: that. What's that like for you? Well, it's not comfortable. I would say, Trent, you know, sometimes when you do have to ask the tough questions and I even have a tough questions folder, I I should find it here. Um, Oh yeah, here it is. Here it is, Trent. It's my uh, tough questions folder. (laughs) That's great. <laughs> uh yeah i dig it out from time to time it's just, it's just a joke but uh you know what's really interesting about it is you know i i feel like i've got a pretty good pulse of this beat and i understand what's what people are talking about what people want to know there are times when things may be a little bit much that i'm not so in, you know like jerseys and stuff like that. I don't get into that very much, but so other people do more power to them. I think you do more than I do. (laughs) That's me. Yes. I'm the self-proclaimed
0: uniform czar of the state of Iowa.
1: Yeah, exactly. So it's like, what alternative jerseys are there? I don't know. I don't care. (laughs) But, uh, but when, you know, things like last year with Iowa football and, and it's really playing pretty poorly on offense and you've got to find ways to get answers and also kind of, and it's a really, you got to really thread that needle because you got to ask questions, but you got to ask them in a respectful tone because let's face it, I mean, we do face these guys every day and it's not an emotional period for us. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are emotional, especially after games, but, but also during the week. You know, you're, uh, uh, you know, you want to know the answers. And well, that's not the way it goes. I mean, it's not, uh, you know, you're not Tom Cruise saying, you know, I want the truth. You know, <laughs> you're just not going to get that kind of a, you know the Spanish Inquisition here, but but I think it's, what we've got to do is also convey that people are wanting answers to this, and in a convey it in a way that it's not flippant, but it's but it's direct, and you're trying to get answers and do it so you can so you can kind of convey that the the fan base feels a certain way, and and some of that is is it's very difficult. I mean, when you're trying to be narrow objective understand the situation because sometimes people get uh they care about things more than you do like victory versus how you look in getting victory that's those are two different things I mean some people if, if Iowa wins 24 to 10 LeBron didn't hit 25 points but if you win you win and mm-hmm. so you know Kirk is all about just hey just just win baby and but that's the way it used to be now it's How does the offense look? And then, you know, but Kirk is a pro. He doesn't, he gets emotional at times up there, but he really kind of understands the situation. Fran is probably a little bit different where he gets a little bit more emotional. Um, He doesn't get challenged very often. He doesn't like it. Not that Kirk does, but he just, uh, it it doesn't, Kirk understands it a little more, I think. And so you've got to go through that process. And Tom Brands is, is, challenging him is not going to work. Um, so you, you've, you've got to know the personalities. You got to know what buttons to push. So there's it's a lot of different things, Trent. I'm going uh, I'm going on a long winding road, but but it's not easy. But you try to be fair, and you're going to be criticized no matter what you do, no matter how hard you go, or if you're too soft, you ultimately know kind of what response you're going to get. It's still a
0: working relationship, and so many people outside of the media don't understand that point. And I, I hear it all the time. I see it all the time on social media. Uh, nobody in the media will ask the tough question. They do. They just mm-hmm. don't ask it in the tone that you want to hear it in They're You're not going to yell at Kirk after the game. Why is your offense suck? It's not mm-hmm. how this works. That's not what you do. These are, though they're not coworkers, they're coworkers. You're working mm-hmm. with these people side by side day in and day out. And it's just, I, I I'm surprised how few people really understand there or how much negativity there's out there about how you have to do that. And you're certainly to be commended and, And I think everybody on the beat. I mean, you guys do a good job understanding that, yes, there's not going to be those moments. They're not going to see Kirk fly off the handle. That's not going to happen. was it Luke Meredith. They got pulled to the side one time. What was that? Probably 10 years ago now, something like that. It was a while back, but that's a rarity. We're talking about a guy that's been on the job for a quarter century, and those instances are very rare. You know, what happened at Illinois last year to David when he asked the question, well, you know, we won 10 games last year. Surprised you didn't know that, you know, however it was. It's few and far between that it happens, but it's a working relationship. And I think you guys all do a really good job. Well, let's move away from what you do on the day-to-day basis. And let's start to talk about next year and this football team coming up this year. Doc, uh, I'm a Twins fan, as you see with my Twins hat. Mm -hmm. I'm a Bears fan, as you are. I'm a Hawkeye fan. Those are the teams that matter the most. I've been beaten down throughout my life. 1991 (laughs) was a long time ago. I was 11 when the Twins won a World Series. I have not seen much success since then with my squads. I am normally a very pessimistic fan. And though I try to separate the fan side of it with what I do on the radio, certainly, and to a lesser extent here on the podcast, I'm as optimistic of a football team as I've been in a long time. I I was not optimistic going into 2015. I was not optimistic going into 2002. I was in 2009, even with the tough schedule. But that aside, I love this team. I love the makeup of the team. I love the way they plug the holes. I believe they are going to answer the bell and the schedule sets right there. And I don't think I'm alone. Uh, Is this is maybe the most anticipated Iowa football season since what? 2016 coming off that 2015 year.
1: Well, every year they seem it seems to go that way. So I would say two years ago in 21, after the you know 2020 season, I think there was a lot of anticipation too. But, you know, probably 16, I think you're right. But I think this is a different vibe. Every year has got its own kind of vibe to it. And I think this is different where this year, I think people are optimistic, they're hopeful, but they're not like jumping it up and down. Yeah, go team. I think they understand that they should be better and they see the realistic reasons for the re- for them to be better. But I don't think that they're like ready to go mortgage the house and go bet on this team winning the big 10 title either. And, and I think that this is probably the most realistic I've seen the f- Iowa fans, which is smart, you know, because a lot of years you just jump right in and you're head and shoulders in love with the team. And then North Dakota state happens mm-hmm. or, you know, st- games like that, where you're just like, Oh God, how- where are we going? Um, in this case, what I think everybody's seeing and they should is one of the best defenses, probably one of the two best defenses in the country last year, Iowa and Georgia. And uh, statistically right at near the top. And and they had to play, they had to play two playoff teams. So they, they had to play a pretty strong schedule mm-hmm. and they're still, and they didn't have to play themselves. So their, their statistics are th- completely legit. Uh, <laughs> the offense will be better. How much better? I don't know. I don't even know. want to go down that path because I, I don't know. I, but I will say it'll be better. Now, with a better quarterback, more consistent, higher completion percentage, you know, that's going to lead to more first downs, which leads to more trips down the field, which ultimately leads to more points. I anticipate the offensive line being better. How much better? I, I'm not ready to say 2002, Iowa, or 2016, you know, or anything like that. But what I will say is, you know, they were sophomores last year, the, the key cogs, and they still had growing pains. And now, you know, they seem to be growing up. And it, you know, it happens. I, I The biggest turnaround I saw was from 07 to 08. Yeah. And the 017 was just, I think, 46 sacks allowed. And then in, by the end of the 2008 season, they were the best in the Big Ten. And um, receivers, you know, I think they'll be... Well, obviously better, but how will they be good? Will they be mediocre? Will they be just barely good enough to score some points once in a while? I don't know. We'll just see, um, you know, and so all those things have to come together. So I anticipate if you have a great defense and I think the guts of a really good one is there. If you have an offense that can at least score points when the opportunity is there and an elite level special teams, that to me is a nine men win minimum for this team. Now, There are games um, that are 50-50. Going to Madison is going to be 50-50. You don't know what you're going to get. There's going to be another game where you're going, oh, boy, this could be a lot tougher than what we expected. Penn State, of course, will be. But will it be Minnesota, Illinois, Iowa State, you know, Purdue? Nobody's talking about Purdue, but maybe they're going to be good. I don't know. So I I would say nine wins minimum, and then – they're going to have their chance to do something. Now, it may come down to a turnover in Madison. That's something we can't predict here in the middle of July. So, but otherwise, but also for the most part, I like this team. I like their mentality. I think they've got the, the right attitude going forward. And I think they got pretty much the right personnel to be very, very competitive in the West. And if their offense gets it figured out, if they can run the ball for 4.3 yards per carry and complete 60% of their passes, I give them a puncher's chance in Indianapolis. If they don't, well, you know, we've seen how that story works out once in a while.
0: A little more on Iowa football and a little Iowa basketball to wrap things up as we're talking with Scott Dockerman today here. This is the Locked On Hawkeyes podcast. Back with you one final time on the Locked On Hawkeyes podcast. As always, thanks for making Locked On Hawkeyes your first listen every day, your team every day. That's what we do here on the Locked On Network. All right, Doc, you're getting ready for media days. Starts in Indianapolis. We'll get to hear from Cooper DeJean, Noah Shannon over there. It'll be what media days are. You've been doing this for a long time. But this Iowa football team, I always like to get a sense. And outside of the weirdo Penn State media guys that I've met throughout the years that are always complaining about the East, they finally got their wish. The divisions are going away. It is always fun, though, to get the perspective of some of the other riders. Now, it's different for you now today and over the last five years, certainly working with the Athletic, and you're talking to a lot of different college football people. What do you think is going to be the outside view when you guys get to Indianapolis here in a couple of days? How everybody else is looking at this Hawkeye team? Is it going to be the same old tired tropes? Terrible offensively last year. Ha, ha, ha. Or do you think there's going to be other people outside of the Iowa beat that believe like I think a lot of us do in this team? I think
1: it'll probably be, you know, people who don't know much about Iowa will still pan it, still look at it as boring old Iowa, bad offense, good defense. They're going to be in an important game, and I don't want to watch them play. That's <laughs> that, that's kind of the you know I get that, <laughs> no, will go too far deep, but you know that that it's just sometimes the the vibe around Iowa, the the narrative. I, I think most people are. are Pushing Wisconsin, I expect Wisconsin to be the favorite in the West, but I don't think Wisconsin is the favorite in the West. I think it's Iowa, and the reason is they they were atrocious this spring. I mean, trying to move move everything around. I mean, Tanner Mordecai is going from uh, you know Dallas, Texas to Madison, Wisconsin, and doing things completely different. And they're going to try to go more wide and spread. They still got a big physical running back, but I think. In this business, just like anything, people want new and fun and different. And Iowa is the, the complete opposite of that. They're yeah. the same over and over and over again, and they still win. They don't win a lot, lot, but they win enough to where they're relevant. But, ah, I don't want to watch Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> so that I think that uh, people who know the sport, understand the sport, will look at Iowa and say, yeah, they're going to be a competitor, but I don't think they're going to be good enough to beat somebody, in the, somebody good in the East. So they're going to have that kind of view. I would expect that to continue until Iowa plays Penn State. That's going to be the coming out party. It could be a lot like 2009 when Iowa went there. Penn State was fifth in the country, and Iowa went and you know knocked them out.
0: Great game. I was there in the stands. I was not up the press box. I was very wet. It was a long day at tailgating that day, but it was a good one there. And that 110,000, they were awful quiet in the fourth quarter as Iowa picked up the win 21-10. All right, Doc, I want to, uh, before we let you go, talk a little bit about the basketball program and what has been such an odd offseason from Jack McCaffrey in the two months before we uh, found out that he was charged in the accident. Um, The story that came out from 24-7 saying that he wasn't going to be a Hawkeye, he was looking elsewhere. That was kind of odd just the way that it came out. And the continued speculation about the future of Fran. You know, Fran McCaffrey has delivered what he was brought here to do. He's got them back to a consistent NCAA tournament team. They have one of the longest streaks in college basketball of NCAA tournaments, and they would have been a tournament team in 2020 if there was a tournament. Eight of the last 10 years. Dr. Tom never had a run of eight and 10 years of making the NCAA tournament. I know it's about March success, but he has brought this program back at least at minimum to respectability. And there were a lot of people that didn't believe that that was going to be the case. What's your read on Fran and the future of this program, not just in this upcoming season where this roster leaves me incredibly nervous, but overall kind of the future path of Fran McCaffrey in Iowa.
1: It's, it's really enigmatic right now. I mean, because it's something that, you know, of the major coaches at Iowa, there's a really good fit with three of them. And I think Fran McCaffrey has been a really good coach. He's done a lot of the things you mentioned but uh, you know, as time goes on, you know it's time to put the lick lighter era in the in the jar and put it move it on. I mean, mm-hmm. after about year three to four, it's like okay, now it's your team, your program. You can do different things. We've seen some teams really you know hit the the skids and then come out and play well. And nobody's really talking about their former back coaches. But I think it, it, it's a consistent program. It's a winning program, but it's not an elite program. And when we go all the way back to the dr tom days and when tom, dr tom got forced out you know and his contract was not renewed it was to take the next step because four times in the 80s they went to the sweet 16 and then then there was a 10 year gap you know dr tom walked in with the greatest collection of athletes in iowa basketball history then they went 10 years before they went back to the sweet 16 which just happened to coincide with his lame duck year and then they haven't been back since and I think what, you know, you just, you want that mountaintop. I think Iowa fans are reasonable enough to understand that you can't, you know, in football or basketball, you can't win the Big Ten every year. You can't go to the the ultimate of the sport, the final four, you know, three out of four years or the the Orange Bowl, Rose Bowl, playoff, whatever. But if you get there once in a while, make you feel like the buildup meets the expectations and then you you exceed them, you know, like the women's basketball team did this year, then no problem. Then, then you have a letdown year, you struggle, bad things happen, you know, interceptions at the wrong time or, you know, missed free throws on the road, something like that. But Fran hasn't had that ending that makes everybody feel really, really good about it. And, you know, even last year, uh, a year ago was, was about as close as it got winning the Big Ten tournament, but then turning around and losing in a five twelve game, just kind of, You know, just drops it, and that's probably the hallmark of the program right now. And it, you know, since 2012, Iowa and Michigan State are the only two programs in the Big Ten to have one, uh, only one, losing campaign in conference play. That's a big stat. That's really good in this league, which is as tough as it gets. But you got to have March success because everybody else has had it. They haven't. I mean, you're you're going to go on. You're 25 since you've been to the sweet 16. And I think there's only like 12 power five programs that have, have a streak that long. And Iowa has clearly got the most, the best history out of that bunch, but sometimes you just got to finish the gig the and it, it hasn't happened here.
0: Yeah, I remember the game. Well, my freshman year sitting in one eyed Jakes with my fake ID and watching Hawkeyes UConn out in Phoenix as my buddies were down there for spring break.
1: Mm-hmm. And I didn't
0: have money to go. So I was stuck there at one eyed Jakes and watching mm-hmm. Pretty good game. would gave him a run in that one, but that was a long, long time ago and, and need to get it back in the interim this year coming up, which it continues to feel like very well could be Fran's last season, either looking for another job or just deciding to walk away at this point in his career and go and following Jack, uh, maybe for his last year, doing something like that and off to wherever he ends up collegiately. This roster, it's weird. Uh They're bad defensively. Well, they're seemingly bad every year defensively. I don't know how this team rebounds and I don't know how they defend. They're going to score. Cause they always score. That's what Fran does. But this team defensively looks putrid.
1: Yeah. I, honestly. I mean, they, they've struggled on the defensive end other than, like one year when they have Utah and Aaron White, it's, it's yeah. been among the worst. Now they've always led the Big Ten in scoring, which is kind of the, the inverse of the football team. But I think you look at this and you, you're like, okay, where are they? If you're going, if you're not going to defend with real consistency and passion, the way that a Wisconsin does or some of the other teams, then you better score with regularity. And I don't know that I have that. I don't know that they have that go-to guy. I mean, I like Peyton Sanford a lot. I think he's a really good player. Um, can he be a consistent shooter? That's really tough to say. I mean, Tony Perkins, um, you know, you don't have a Chris Murray on the floor. You don't have a Keegan Murray on the floor. You don't have a Luca Garza on the floor or Joe camp, And so the players that normally have benefited from being the, the secondary option on a lot of uh, trips up the floor are now going to have to be number one. And then the other team knows that well, and they're going to try to take those guys away. And And so can they score enough to overcome it? You know, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, Ben Cricky, is he gonna be, you know, is he gonna play like he did at Valpo? If he does, he'll be a really good addition, maybe a you know, third team all Big Ten or something like that. And Nevin Bronze, if you just go his in and gives him good minutes, then then you're looking for growth in a couple of areas. You know, can DeSante Bowen be the guy that everybody wanted him to be last year? You know, what about you know, can Patrick McCaffrey be more consistent? Can Tony Perkins take his game from being one day he's awesome. The next day he's eh, so-so to, yeah, he's really good at every game. If that can happen, then this team could be on the bubble, yeah. you know, be it seventh, eighth in the Big Ten. If not, this team could be on the NIT bubble. And um, this, but, you know, it would be kind of odd, trend, if they, Finally, got in. If they got in, they're a 10 seed, and all right. of a sudden they they win two games and go to the Sweet 16 with this type of roster. But that's just the way the ball bounces sometimes. Yeah,
0: absolutely. That's the way the NCAA tournament is. Scott Dockerman from The Athletic joining us here. Doc, enjoy our conversations throughout the years, talking everything on the Iowa beat. And for people interested, people listening to the podcast here today, The Athletic, a subscription based website, and not just Hawkeye content, content of seemingly every team, every league uh, out there. What people can do, they want to get signed up and get great sports writing that you do and everybody does over at The Athletic. What's the easiest place to go?
1: Hey, just click on one of my tweets and then sign up. It's uh, $2 a month right now. And you got to build build up to the season uh, for football for sure. And I'll be doing a little more basketball than normal or I had in the past with kind of a done some changes. So you're going to see more Iowa coverage, but then you're also going to see big picture coverage. I think college football, especially, and, and Hey, if you're like the twins, like Trent or like the Cubs, well, maybe not the Cubs, maybe they're trade (laughs) deadline Cubs or uh, the bears, you know, whoever you like in, in the other sports, you can have it filtered down to you. So, and then also read, national headlines every day with good takes. So I, I think it's a, it's as big of a bargain as there is. And so just, uh, you know, go to Scott Docterman at, at, at Scott Docterman on Twitter or, or go to the athletic.com, click on an Iowa story, subscribe from there. It's not very expensive and you'll get all the coverage you need for the next year.
0: Definitely worth it. Thank you for your time today, doc. Thanks a lot, Trent. That's Scott Docterman joining us from the athletic. Thanks for making lockdown Hawkeyes. Your first listen every day. We got more content coming up later this week. You everydayers, we got you covered from Big Ten Football Media Days. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Go Hawks.